Welcome to this inspiring message brought to you by Kingsword Media Outreach, a part of Kingsword Ministries International. We hope this teaching inspires you and transforms you into all that God has destined you to be. Please stay tuned for more information about Kingsword Ministries International following this message. May God bless you as you listen. Jesus is our redemption. We've been talking about free, 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 free. I trust you're listening to the messages. Um, get them from the media stand or go online and download them and listen to them free. God has been showing us and unveiling many things to us as regards redemption. And it's just been an amazing journey. It's been an amazing journey. And it's Easter celebration. It's resurrection. Resurrection season. Now you know what happens when, when there's resurrection. Glory to God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. That's the scripture we started with. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Most of the time we quote the part of the scripture that says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We forget verse 24 that says, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So that's the anchor scripture we, we, we've been looking at in this um, free series. Glory to God. One of the things that, um, that I know for this house is that I was telling in the Elevate service that not a single person under this anointing, under this grace, will leave the same. The way you, you, you came to church, after a period of time, your life is supposed to be transformed. Transformed because there is a grace in the house for your transformation. So I'm, I'm employing you to take that grace. I'm only here as one who is privileged and opportuned by God to carry the grace. I'm only here. So the grace is not for me. The grace is for you. So whatever you want from God, pull through that grace. 1999, I was on campus. God, um, I was in my room. I, 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 I shut up myself in the, in the room for, I was staying off campus, I shut up the slab in the room for about three days or so. I wanted to pray. I told my neighbor to um, lock, the, lock the, my room from the outside and hold the key. That on the third day, I would knock and she would open for me. I just had cabin biscuits and I had water. I said, she said, why? I said, because I wanted to pray. What happened that the, the day before, we were, were in the lecture hall, and a friend of mine 
walked up to me and said, Brother Joel, do you know what God wants to do with your life? I said, how do you mean? He said, God showed him something and that he wasn't going to tell me. It's bad enough that God showed you and did not show me. Then it's even worse that you don't want to tell me. So why are you coming to... So I got angry. I said, okay, don't bother. If you don't want to tell me, it's okay, no problem. So I got off and I left the class. It was like, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. He said, what about lecture? I said, no lecture today. He said, and lecture is coming. So I went home and they called me. They said, no lecture. Those days, what we do, sometimes we just decide when lecture will hold. If we want to have evangelism on campus, we just decide, okay, today we want to evangelize. So no lecture is coming. And the students will be like, how are you people so sure? But we just stand in the class and say, no lecturer comes to this class today. And then we'll go for evangelism. And throughout that day, no lecture. We were that radical. So I, t I told them that day that no problem. So I, I, I left and I went, I went uh, home. I locked up myself and I gave my neighbor the key. And I was there worshiping and praying. Day one, I was there worshiping and praying. Lifting up my voice, praying and talking to God. And the night of day one, I had some strange encounters. I've never done that since that day. I've never done it since that day. I had some strange encounters. Very strange. That was the first time in my life I ever saw a demon. I ever, that was the first time. And then that was the first time I also saw an angel. I think it was the first time. The presence of Jesus and all that. Then day two, the second day, I was still there praying and, and, and talking to God and all that. I had very strange encounters. Many, many strange encounters. I can't even mention some of them here. Strange encounters. So the second day, God spoke to me. 1999. And he said to me, Isaiah 49 verse 8. He says, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourself. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastors shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. These are the words that God spoke to me in 1999. I wrote them down in my book. And that has been my guiding word till date. It said, I will preserve you and I will give you as a covenant to the people to cause them to inherit the desolate territories. So now that I mentioned this scripture, if you understand the way I teach, the way I preach, that you are in Christ Jesus everything that God will make you be. And that you have an inheritance in God. You have a place in God. And my job is to get you into that place. My job is to cause you to inherit what is yours. To inherit the desolate heritages. To what people have, have taught that no longer exist in Christ. When I teach and preach, it comes to light and you see it and you want to go for more of God. So I understand that grace as it rests on me. I understand that responsibility. So each time.
time I, I have the opportunity to talk to people and to minister God's word and to share God's word, I'm conscious of that grace. I'm conscious of that, of that revelation. I'm conscious of that gift. I'm conscious of the fact that when I teach and preach and communicate God's word, life flows and people move from where they are to where they ought to be. Where they ought to be. So the experience and the testimony is that when you encounter this grace and encounter this anointing, God begins to walk you from that moment, from wherever you are, to the thing that you ought to do, the place you ought to be, how, when you ought to be there, and begins to rearrange your life and cause you to inherit the things that are yours. I'm taking my time to explain this because... I sense a, an atmosphere in the house where people are supposed to pull and enter. One of the anchor, anchor words we use a lot in church is that you find your place. You find your place. Take your place. So when you come under this grace and come under this anointing, God begins to help you to locate your place. To locate your place. To get yourself into the thing that you ought to do. So when people come to me and say, Pastor, um, I, I think I want to do this and I want to do that. What do you think about it? I said, okay. Sometimes I tell them, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you later about it. Or right there and then God can just uh, tell me about it. But it, it's, it's, it's the grace. So I can be talking to you and I just know in my heart what you ought to be doing, where you ought to be, how you ought to be there. And then from that moment, God begins to give me instructions to the teachings and preachings how to get you there. How to get you there. The things that you ought to be doing. The things you ought to be doing. So someone comes to me and says, oh, pastor, what do you think about this and think about this? And I say, okay, you know what? As, I, as he's talking, God begins to show me a picture. Begins to give me a, a, a blueprint of how that person should go. It's a grace. It's a grace. So when you understand that grace and understand the grace in the house, your life should gravitate towards the things that God is calling you to, to be and to do. No matter where you're coming from, no matter how far low you have been, no matter how far low the whole thing has gone, no, from that moment, it begins to gravitate towards that thing that God would have you do. That's a grace in the house. I just wanted to take time to, to, to touch on that and explain that. Because I see a season coming. I see a season coming where there's going to be some kind of disruption. Disruption in your affairs. Disruption in your, in your processes, in your everyday activity. In the things that you're used to, the things that you know. It's not because things are going bad. It's because things are turning to move in the direction they should be. It's because things are turning to move in the direction they should be. So before they move in that direction, God will just have to disrupt it. Disrupt it so that he can position it properly. So when the season comes and you, and you experience a disruption, remember the pastor said it's not a season to fear. It's a season to realize that some things are being arranged. Some things have been arranged. Some things have been arranged. So that God can position you properly. It's the grace that is in the house. It, 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 it may not be um, happening somewhere else. But I need you to understand the grace that is on your pastor. And know how to pull that grace. And how to pull that grace. And everything is in line so that it can get us into the will of God. And get us into the plan of God. Do we understand that?
Glory to God. So from last week, we said so many things about uh, being free. We said that freedom, that the freedom we have in Christ Jesus is not one we obtain by ourselves, but one he obtained for us. That we are free from traditions, we are free from sacrifices, we are free from generational causes. All right? That the fight we fight is a good fight of faith. To maintain the victory we have in Christ Jesus, not to obtain it. So you and I, each time we fight, each time we stand our ground in the faith, it is so that we will, we will, uh, we will, we will enter into the victory that Christ, will, sorry, we will maintain the victory that Christ has bought for us, not that we will obtain it again. No. Christ has given you and I a victory. So we stay in that victorious position and then we fight. What's the fight? The Bible says take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Remember it didn't say take on your armor. Take on the whole armor of God. So it is the breastplate of righteousness. It is the helmet of salvation. It is the sword of the spirit. It is the armor of God. So you are taking it so that you can stand. Stand against what? Stand against the enemy that is trying to take you away from the position that Christ has put you in. You may say, oh pastor, but I'm not really experiencing that position right now. The truth of the matter is, whether or not you're experiencing it right now does not change the fact that he has put you in that position. He has put you in that position. So your fight, your, 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 your determination, your doggedness is to say, no, Satan, you cannot take my health. So when you feel symptoms in your body and, you, and the doctor diagnoses and says there's something wrong and there's XYZ there, people of the world will say he's sick. But in reality, the person is not sick. In reality, sickness is trying to take the person's health. That Jesus has made available. So when we stand our ground and say, I am the healed, I'm not the sick. So I am the healed protecting my healing from the sickness that is trying to take it away. I am the rich protecting my wealth from the poverty that is trying to take it away. Two different things. Two different things. So when you find yourself in lack and want, don't conclude that, oh, we're all poor or poor in the house. No. The poverty is trying to take away your wealth. But pastor, I don't have it. Yes, that is why it is trying to take it away. It's doing everything to make sure that you don't see it. Are you getting me? It's doing everything to make sure you don't see that wealth. It's doing everything to make sure that you don't get into that position that God wants you to get into. Because it's already there. Who we are in Christ Jesus is already there. So all these things come to take them away. So we fight. It's called the good fight of faith. So seeing we are redeemed, what did the Bible say? We say so. I remember those days when they sing the song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, let the it's not so. It's asking us to say. <laughs> it's asking us to say that we are redeemed. If we are redeemed, let's say that we are redeemed. So all we do though is so, so go about so, 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 so. No wonder we're not experiencing the redemption. No. He's saying that if you are redeemed, say you are redeemed. Say you are redeemed in your finances. Say you are redeemed in your health. Say you are redeemed in your family. Say you are redeemed in your children. Say you are redeemed in your business. Say you are redeemed. Act 
like you are redeemed. That's what he's saying. Let the redeemed of the Lord say that they are redeemed. When sickness comes, they say they are redeemed. When poverty tries to come, they say they are redeemed. Regardless of what the situation is, they say they are redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them say so. So we keep declaring it. Against all odds, we declare it. When it looks like it's working, when it looks like it's not working, we declare it. We keep declaring, we keep saying it, we keep talking it. We are not saying it so that we can have it. We are saying it so that it maintains. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So today, I just want to touch on something very, very, very important. And I need you to, to focus and, and, and understand this with me. Glory to God. The covenant that we have in Christ Jesus, the Bible says it's a new covenant. All right? It's a new covenant. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to dwell on, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. I want to show you here how, how your freedom, the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. Of course, we've been talking about free. All right? Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Talking about Jesus. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since they are priests to offer the gifts according to the law, who serve and copy the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. He said, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. What's the meaning of a testament? A testament is like a wheel. So, and the Bible tells us that the wheel is only in effect after the death of the testator. Okay? So, the, the first covenant was a covenant between man, God, and man. That was the first covenant. But the Bible said that covenant was faulty. So I asked the question, if that covenant was faulty, does it mean that God was wrong? Because the Bible says the covenant was faulty. God found fault in the covenant. He was the one that cut the covenant. He was the one that made the covenant with Moses. But the Bible says there was fault in that covenant. That's why God had to stop the covenant. So in searching and studying the scripture, I realized that the fault in the covenant had nothing to do with God. It wasn't God's perspective. It was man's perspective. Because each time, God had to step in to help man all the time. So during that period, there were sacrifices of goats and, and, and lambs and all those things. And, and many, many sacrifices each time and every time and, and all the time. So at that moment... 
God realized man cannot keep the covenant. Follow me. Man cannot keep the covenant. You need to understand why you are free. Man cannot keep the covenant. So from that moment, God began to look for a way where man will fit into the covenant. So he's saying now that a new and a better covenant. So this covenant was now between God and God. God and God. Let's read further from verse 7. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So at that point, God realized that I'd made a covenant with man and this covenant was on stone. This covenant was, was given to them. Moses was the mediator. But they could not keep that covenant. I needed, I needed to catch this picture, okay? When the first covenant was in existence, men did things that were wrong. Am I correct? Good. Now that we're in a better covenant, do men still do things that are wrong? Good. Now you're following me. So realize that it's not the wrong things that the men do that is the problem. Are you understanding? Because in both scenarios, they were doing things that were wrong. So God wasn't after what they were doing that were wrong. God was after the fact that they had a conscience, they had a guilt, they had condemnation that stayed with them. So the covenant could not free them from that thing. The covenant could not set them free. But this time around, he says there's a better covenant with better promises. Where he himself became the one that cut the covenant. The Bible says he saw that he could not swear by any greater. He swore by himself. And then Jesus became the mediator. So in this covenant, you are not there. I am not there. In this covenant, we have only come to receive. That's why it can never be broken. That's why there's nothing you can do in the eyes of God that will make him look at you and say you are worse being redeemed. There's nothing you can do in the eyes of God that will say you are beyond salvation or beyond redemption because you are not there. You are not inside the covenant so it cannot be broken. Jesus was the mediator. God was there. So the two of them, they sealed it and they said take it's an inheritance. It's an inheritance. So your freedom is a total freedom. Nobody should rubbish you or tell you stuff. You are completely free in Christ Jesus. If you're not experiencing it, it's because you have not received it. It's because you have not received it. Verse 11. It says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. 
for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more when he says I will remember no more it means that I have put something in place that will make me not remember again and then you ask but what about if I do anything wrong tomorrow your business the covenant is in place you will not just enjoy the benefit of the covenant. You will not just enjoy it. You will not just enjoy it. But the covenant is in place. In that he says, a new covenant, verse 13. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is being obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Chapter, 11, chapter 9, verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service. And the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part in which was the lampstand. The table, the showbread. Which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil. The part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant. Overlaid on all sides with gold. In which were the golden pot that had manna. Aaron's rod that budded. And the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in details. Look at verse 6. Now when these things has, had been thus prepared, the priest always went in the first part of the tabernacle, performing the, the services, but into the second part the high priest went alone. Into the second part the high priest went alone. Once every year. Once every year. Not without blood. Which he offered for himself. And for the people's sin. Committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this. That the way into the holiest of all. Was not yet made manifest. While the first tabernacle was still standing. So the high priest would go into the holiest of all. Once alone and once a year. At that time. Now I needed to, I needed to look at this. Look at this very carefully. Jesus being, I think I explained that last week. Jesus being our high priest came from the tribe of Judah. And we know from scripture that um, the tribe of Judah, there was nothing about the priesthood about the tribe of Judah. It was the tribe of, it was Levites. The Levites were the priests. But when John the Baptist would baptize Jesus, John the Baptist at that time, when he laid his hands on Jesus, the Bible says, the Bible made us to understand that at that time, there became a transference from the priesthood, from the house of Levi to the house of Judah. And the Bible says Jesus was led by the spirit where? Into the wilderness. So when, if you go back to the Old Testament, if you get the message from last week, you'll understand that. Go back to the Old Testament. When they brought the sacrifice, the Bible says they brought a scapegoat. Then Aaron will lay his hands on the scapegoat, confess the people's sins, and then the scapegoat will go, go where? Into the wilderness. So the same thing that happened to Jesus when John the Baptist laid his hands on him and baptized him, the Levitical priesthood was transferred from the house of Levi to the house of Judah. And then Jesus had the legal right to become our high priest at that moment. So, when he left there, where did he go? He went to the wilderness. The same thing that happened 
years ago. This time, he went to the wilderness. So, they said the high priest goes in there alone. Once a year. You and I know that Jesus died alone. Right? He said, but the high priest went with, with, not without blood. He went with blood of goats and bulls and all those things for the people's sin. But Jesus came with his own precious blood. His own precious blood. Purified the things in heaven. Purified the things in earth. Made everything clean. Look at verse, verse 11. So, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. That is not of his, this creation. Not with the blood of goats and cows. But his own blood. He entered the most holy place. Once for all time. Never to enter again. But the high priest at that time entered once every year. But this time he entered once and for all. So if at that time the high priest would go every year and, 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 and sacrifice the goat and cleanse the people's sins and all that and go in the next year and do that and then the people will be clean and made whole for that year. But this time around Jesus entered once and for all. Means till all eternity. I have not seen the sin that is greater than the blood of Jesus. Till all eternity, I have not seen it that is greater than the blood of Jesus. There's none. There's none. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Say so how much more the blood of Jesus. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Make you clean completely so that you do not have a consciousness of sin. I don't know how to explain that word. I think I've done some teaching on that before. When you talk about consciousness of sin, it's it's not like you, you disregard sin. No. It's that it doesn't have power over you. Even when you sin, you are not condemned. You receive salvation. Uh, sorry, you receive, you receive salvation. You receive repentance. You allow the blood of Jesus to wash to watch you. And then you move from that point to a position where you live above that power. It doesn't have power over you anymore. Takes away that consciousness, that consciousness of sin to serve the living God. He said, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Hallelujah. I'll just wash quickly because of time. I've, I'm, over, I'm over five minutes. Hebrews chapter 10. Thank you, Father. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things... And never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. 
Look at that. So they offer it year by year, but it says it can never make them perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. That's what the blood of Jesus comes to do for us. That's what the sacrifice, our redemption in him, that's what it comes to do for us. That's what it comes to do for us. That's what it's come to do for us. Verse 5. Therefore when he came into the world he said. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. Then I said. Behold I have come in the volume of the books. It is written of me. To do your will. O God. So the will of God. For you and I. Is that. We come into a place in the new covenant where we do not have a consciousness of sin. Then apart from that, we are living with better promises. Better promises. Better promises. Glory to God. I'll close with Luke chapter 13 from verse 10. Luke chapter 13 from verse 10. So when you understand that you have a better covenant that is on better promises you realize that you ought to be free. You ought to be free. Luke 13.10 Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Look at what the people of those days said. So, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he had said to the crowd, there are six days on which men are to walk. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Listen to what the Holy Spirit just told me. You and I are We've come into a continuous Sabbath. Continuous Sabbath. Every day is a day of healing. Every day is a day of prosperity. Every day is a day of victory. Every day is a day of redemption. It's a day of redemption. Continuous Sabbath. Continuous Sabbath. Glory to God. Verse 15. Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? When redemption happens, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the situation. That day you realize that you are free in Christ Jesus. You take your freedom in health. You take your freedom in your finances. You take your freedom in your family. You take your freedom in your career, your business. You take it that day. That day. So every day becomes a Sabbath. It says, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, ought not this woman who has been redeemed be free today? Ought not this woman who has received, who has been, who is a daughter of Abraham, ought not her be free? She's a daughter of Abraham, yes. But she has not realized that she has been free. So Jesus arranged it clearly and said, look, 
this woman is a daughter of Abraham. But she has not realized she ought to be free. You've been redeemed. You've not realized you ought to be free. So the day you realize, you begin to walk in the redemptive power. The day you realize, you begin to take your authority. The day you realize, you begin to call the things that are yours to be. Not because you are ambitious. It's because it's your inheritance. It's your inheritance. It's your inheritance. It's your inheritance. Anything that will stop anybody in this commission, under this grace, from reaching anything is because you don't want it. But I stand bold here to tell you, anything you want in your inheritance in Christ Jesus, you will get it. You will get it. There is no power, there is nothing to hold you down. You will get it. Any dream that God has put in your heart, you will reach it. You will reach it. You will reach it. Stand to your feet. You are free in Christ Jesus. The preceding message was brought to you by Kingsword Ministries International. For information about Kingsword Ministries, visit us at kingsword.org for information and additional resources. Thank you for listening to this message. And remember, where the word of a king is, there's power.